We're so glad that you're here today. And if you um, have been at Living Word for any amount of time, you know that uh, many times we'll, on a Sunday morning, we'll go through a book of the Bible, we'll uh, go through a topic, and we'll talk about that to help you know more about God's Word and to understand what God has for your life. I believe with all my heart that God's Word has the answer for your life. And if you're here today or you're watching online and maybe you're just seeking, my prayer for you here today is that as we go through just God's Word today and and stories about Jesus and why He came to earth, my prayer for you here today is that you would know without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus came for people, that He came for you to change your life, to give you a new direction, to forgive us, to heal us. And it's amazing when we look into the Word of God and truly see who Jesus is, when you understand that it will change your life. And I know for many of us, we have different ideas about church and maybe it's through church or maybe the culture of the church that kind of maybe gives us our perception about Jesus. And what we're doing is we're in a series looking at and understanding the real Jesus. Not what other people say about him, but actually what does the word of God say about Jesus? What did he say about himself? And why does he desire to have a relationship with you? So some of you here, maybe you grew up in church. Maybe you were the Christers. You went to church on Christmas and Easter. How many Christers out there, right? Okay, not too proud. You're like, yeah, that was, that was our family, right? And um, maybe some of you, you, weren't, you didn't grow up in church at all. I mean, church is a completely new experience. Maybe the only church you saw was from that neighbor or maybe that coworker who maybe was a follower of Jesus Christ and, you know, they tried to share Jesus with you and you said, man, they're crazy, you know, whatever. Um, maybe, maybe you went to church your whole life. You grew up in church. Maybe you have a good experience. Maybe you had a bad experience. And I think sometimes our perception about Jesus can come from the culture of our church. What I want to do today is break down our perceptions of maybe maybe the wrong perceptions you have. Maybe you were at a church where it was very regimented and maybe it was rule-oriented. It was really about what you did and didn't do. Maybe you grew up in a church that was very liturgical. It was very religious. It was about you know, just going to church once a week and going through the motions and then you went home, but it really didn't affect you personally. I was, many of you know I was raised in church went to Sunday school, would hide the Bibles on the Sunday school teacher, so he'd spend half the time looking for the Bibles, and then we'd only have five minutes of class. That was me, I'm sorry, I confess. Lord, forgive me for doing that. That poor Sunday school teacher, God bless him. Um, But, you know, but it it was something we did. It's something we did every week, uh, but it, it didn't necessarily affect me personally until I was a teenager and understood why Jesus came. And what I want to look at today is what is the purpose for Jesus coming to earth. Why did he come? We're going to look at a couple stories today of Jesus's interaction with those who were religious, who followed God, but they followed God through their rules. And because they were so stringent on their rules, they kind of forgot about people. And they were really more in love with their rules than really knowing God. And so when Jesus came on the scene as the Son of God, they rejected him because they didn't like what he was teaching. Jesus was kind of rocking the apple cart. He was kind of coming against them and their teachings and how they were taking religion and God's rules and usurping that on people, making it a burden to serve God. So many people just either gave up or said, We can't do this. And Jesus comes along and he says, listen, I didn't come to bring you another religion. I didn't come to bring you a bunch of rules to place on you to make your life more burdensome. In fact, Jesus says, I've come to actually set you free. 
I've come to, to heal your past, to heal your sins. And what that does is when our relationship is established with Jesus and we understand why he came, then that makes us want to serve him. It makes us want to please him. Does God want us to live holy lives? Absolutely. God doesn't want anything to impede our relationship with him. And what sin does in our rebellion against God, it can impede our relationship with Jesus. So Jesus comes to establish a relationship, to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. And when we understand that everything is done by God's grace, it allows me to serve God with gratitude. It allows me to serve Jesus with thankfulness for what he's done for me. Now I want to please Jesus, not out of performance, not trying to gain God's acceptance through my works. That's what the religious were doing. They were trying to gain God's acceptance by their performance. Look how great I am. Look how perfect I am. Look how well I keep my rules. And Jesus says, that's not how you please God. Because before God, no one is holy. And if you think that you can keep all the rules perfectly, you're mistaken. Let's look at our lives. We may live, we may have one good day, and the next day we're like, man, I really messed up. And if we're trying to please God through our works, we will live a miserable Christian existence because it's an it's a endless pit that can never be filled. So what Jesus comes is he comes to bring you a new identity. He comes to change everything in your life, to change your perception about who God is by giving his very life for you. And when that relationship is established with Jesus Christ, now it causes me to want to serve him, to love him, because I understand what he's done for me. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at two stories here in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, of, of, or in the book of Luke, of Jesus uh, coming in contact with these religious people and, and, and Jesus, quote-unquote, breaking their rules. So if you've, if you've got your Bibles or you want to follow along here, we're going to be in Luke chapter 6, and we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 14. And so let's understand, once again, the religious of this time were more concerned with their rules than people. Their top priority was for people to conform to their laws that weren't necessarily God's practices. So I want us to understand this way that Jesus came for people. He came to have a relationship with us to change all of that. And so um, it's not to bring more rules, to bring more religion so I want to look at these two encounters that Jesus had with these religious people of their time. And so what I want to look at is, what was Jesus most concerned with? And was Jesus not concerned with how we lived our lives? Absolutely he was concerned with how we lived our lives. But our relationship with Christ will change everything, and it will change the way you live your life when you understand that. So let's look at Luke chapter 6. And, and I want you to know the commonality of these two days. They both happened on the Sabbath. They both happened on the Sabbath. So let's look at Luke chapter 6. It says, One Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples broke off the head of, of grain, rubbed off the husk in their hands, and ate the grain. But some Pharisees said, Why are you breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Now, let me, let me put a pin right there. My question is, how did the Pharisees see them? They must have seen them walking through the grain field, and they're watching them, right? They're, they're, they're following them. They're stalking them because they want to see them mess up, right? And so you've got the Pharisees in the grain field looking around. What are they doing, right? <laughs> What, what, what do they do? You know, and they, they want to catch him. So they do. They catch him. They catch them eating grain 
uh, the Sabbath. And you're thinking, what is the big deal? We're going to dive into that in just a moment. So Jesus replies, here's what he says to them. And it's interesting how he replies with Scripture. He goes, haven't you read in the Scriptures what David did, King David did, when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priest can eat. He also gave some to his companions. And Jesus added, the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. We'll talk about it in just a minute. So let's jump to Luke, Luke 14 once again. One Sabbath... When Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, religious leader, he was being carefully watched. Once again, there he is. He's being watched. What is he going to do? How are we going to catch Jesus? And there in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. And Jesus asked the Pharisees and the expert scribes of the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he said said to them, If one of you has a child or an ox that has fallen to a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. Jesus hits them right between the eyes there. What are you more concerned with, your law or people? And so I want us to dig into this. What's going on here? Well, it looks as Jesus and his disciples are breaking God's law or rules about the Sabbath in both, both encounters. So there's definitely some rules about what you were to do and not do on that Sabbath day. And so the common thread between those, both of these encounters is not so much what Jesus did, but on the day he did them. And there were some pretty serious ac- accusations. For us today, we might think, well, what's the big deal? You know, they, they ate some grain. You know, Jesus healed a person on the Sabbath. What, what's the big deal? Well, I, want you to, I want to give you the background here. Um, why are the religious uh, so up in arms over what they, what they were doing? And why were they trying to catch them on the Sabbath day? Well, let's understand God's law and the purpose of his law first. The, the Mosaic law was given to the nation of Israel And it compromised, uh, basically, or it it comprised of basically three parts. You had the Ten Commandments, the the do's and the don'ts, the thou shall nots. You had the ordinance or the ceremonial laws, and then you had the worship system or the sacrificial system. And so why why did God create these laws? Well, the purpose for creating these laws was, was a couple things. One was to reveal the holy character of God. God wanted his children to know, I am holy, you are not. You just can't approach me haphazardly. So God set up these ordinances or these laws to show them if your sins are going to be atoned for, there is a certain way that you must approach me because I am a holy God. Because nothing unholy can stand in the presence of God. So in order to have a relationship with God, in order for their sins to be covered, there was a sacrificial system. Something had to die in order for their sins to be appeased. And so it was a constant reminder to Israel that their sin was always before God and God was the only one that could cover their sin. They could not do it for themselves. So God was very strict in the way he did this because he always wanted them to remember, I am holy you are not, your sins need to be covered. And in order to have a relationship with me, there must, be, there must be something that has to die in order to have a relationship with me, something that has to give its life in order to have a relationship with me, in order to have your sins covered. And also it was to set Israel apart from other nations. It was to show them that they were sanctified unto God, separated unto him. And by the way they lived their life and by the way they were obedient to the Lord, it showed them 
that they were God's and God was theirs. So this is very important for the law to reveal to them the character of God, the holy character of God, and to show them that they were a nation that was unto the Lord and the Lord alone. Now, what it did was it revealed the sinfulness of man. Even though the law was good, it could not provide salvation. The reason why, that's why they had sacrifices year after year after year. The Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and offer up his sacrifices before the Lord so it would cover his sins and the people's sins, but they would have to do it constantly, constantly. And here comes Jesus on the scene. Jesus comes as the Son of God. He's perfect in every way. He is God, and he fulfills all the requirements of the law in his life. All 613 laws Jesus fulfilled in himself. God never set up the law for us to fulfill it perfectly. There's no way. You broke one, you broke them all. So you'd think, well, why in the world did he do it just to set us up to be failures, right? No, the reason he did it once again was to show he was holy and we weren't, and it was to show us that we need a savior. There is no way in our own strength that we could do it alone. This was the problem with the Pharisees. They began to look at their works to validate them, to make them feel holy before God. And God says, these works, all these laws cannot validate you before me. You are still sinful before me. You absolutely need me 100% in order to be made right before me. And so what Jesus does, because he is perfect and he is God, ultimately gives himself as a sacrifice for you and I. And it's through Christ Jesus that we can now approach God, a holy God, with confidence, knowing that our sin is forgiven because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. So what Jesus does is he comes into this world to show us that it's only through him, that it's only through a relationship with Jesus that our sins can be forgiven. You cannot appease God by trying to be righteous and moral in your own strength. That's the problem with religion many times. We think the more religious I am, the more God will accept me. Survey says, eh, no way, you can't do it in your own strength. And I'll tell you what, many people are frustrated by church or religion when they're trying to please God in their own strength. God says, I've never created you to do that on your own because you can't. And so the law pointed for a need for a savior. It pointed for us to show us that we are sinners, we can't do it on our own, and we need a savior. So the law was good, but it could not provide ultimate salvation for us it could only point to our sin but not save us from our sin this is what jesus is coming up against in his world so what what the sacrificial system did it provided temporary forgiveness through this system it provided for them a way to worship god the way he wanted to be worshiped the way we were to approach him once again because he is holy and we are not And he wanted to show them the separation of their sin and his holiness. And the only way you could approach me was through the sacrificial system. The only way you could worship me was through the sacrificial system. And so in Christ Jesus was the fulfillment of the law and all its requirements. Aren't you thankful for Jesus? (laughs) I'm so thankful he came and did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. So at this point, at this time, the religious couldn't see this. They were using the law to show how holy they were and using the law to, quote-unquote, save them. But in reality, the law couldn't save them. They needed a Savior. So here the Son of God comes on the scene, and they're rejecting the Savior of the world who came to save them. They were looking to the law to validate their, their lives. And so what they did is they took some liberty 
with the Sabbath rest or the fourth commandment. And they began to add to it. Now, the purpose of the Sabbath rest was to rest, was to reflect. When God looked at his creation uh, in Genesis, in the beginning of Genesis, he looks back over his creation and he stops and he rests on the seventh day. Now, does God need to rest? No, but he looks and he reflects. It's for us. What they began to do with the Sabbath rest is they weren't resting, they weren't reflecting. They began to add more rules and what you can't do and you can't do this and you can't do that and they began to put all these rules on everybody else and then no one could do it. It got so ridiculous that they taught that you couldn't even look in a mirror because if you were to look in the mirror and see a gray hair, you would be tempted to pull out that gray hair which would be work which would violate the Sabbath rest. Now, I'd be in front of the mirror for a long time looking in the mirror, right, to try to pull out all my, all my gray hair. That's how ridiculous it got. And so what happens is it burdened people. It stopped becoming a relationship with God and wanting to know him for who he is. And it started to serve God through all these works. You're not doing enough. And so when Jesus comes on the scene, you've got people that are just burdened by religion. They feel like they're not good enough. They feel like they don't measure up. And so what these Pharisees were doing is they were burdening people with religion, not, not setting them free. And Jesus says, I want to set you free from that. And so that's why Jesus says, listen, my yoke is easy and my burdens are light. Come to me, those of you who are heavy laden, those of you that have burdens, come to me and take my yoke upon you. Come to me and you will find rest. See, Jesus is the fulfillment of that Sabbath rest. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. The Pharisees and the religious elite at the time were confused. They thought their rest was going to come by adding more rules and more rules and trying to be righteous in their own eyes. And this is just, this is how outrageous it became by adding more and more and more and more and more laws. You see, healing to them on the Sabbath would be considered work. And what Jesus did and his disciples, did they do anything wrong by eating the, eating the grain or healing on the Sabbath? No. The problem wasn't eating the grain because they could do that as long as you ate in the field and you didn't take a basket full of the owner's property. The problem is, is it was on the Sabbath and it broke their rules. So Jesus' answer to them is very interesting. He doesn't comment on their rule, but he turns to Scripture. And what he says is he says, David and his men were running from King Saul, and King Saul was the king of Israel at the time, was jealous of David and wanted David dead. David was a new anointed king. He would be the next king of Israel. Saul was jealous, wanted David dead. So David's running from him. And they were hungry, and the only food they could find was the bread, the sacred bread that was to be strictly only used by the priest in the tabernacle. And so what they did is they ate that sacred bread. What's interesting is David was never reprimanded for doing this. It's very interesting. This was not a man-made rule. This was actually God's law. They broke this ceremonial law. Why did they eat the bread when they knew it was violating God's ceremonial law? I want you to understand they had a need. There was a need there. They were not acting in pride They were God's people, and this particular incident transcended the law, even though the law was important. What God did at this point is set aside the ceremonial law for this particular time for a reason. Why? 
because the ceremonial laws were only temporary. However, God never sets aside his moral law. So you may think, well, Pastor, what about stealing and murder and committing adultery? Those are still wrong. Those are God's moral laws. But these ceremonial laws, God temporarily uh, allowed to be set aside for the purpose of David and his men eating. And what, what, what Jesus says to the Pharisees, he says, listen, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I came to fulfill all 113 laws and all the requirements that the law required within myself. And so Jesus is, through his perfect, sinless life, Jesus meets all the requirements of God for you and me. And so what Jesus is saying, he's saying, listen, I am the Lord of rest. Follow me here. Jesus says, you are not going to find rest for your souls in trying to keep all these rules. It's going to burden you. It's going to burden you. And that's what Jesus faced when he began to walk on the earth. He faced people that were burdened because of religion. And the very thing that God said, I want my Sabbath to be a rest for you, not a burden, not, not another thing that's added on to you, rule after rule after rule after rule that just burdens you down. And am, am I trying to be good enough to follow God? Did I, did I you know, cross the T's and dot the I's? Did I do everything right? And Jesus says, that will never work if you're trying to follow me that way. And I think what happens with religion, we come in the mindset that we've got to do something for God. No. No. God says, when you come to the relationship, I want you to realize, I've already done everything for you. I want you to recognize through humility your need for me, that I've done it all for you. If I bring all my works to God, this holy God is going to look at me and say, you've got to be kidding me, right? Right? That's not going to work. It's not going to work. But for these religious people, what they were doing is they were burdening the very people that God was trying to set free. And so Jesus doesn't want to come into your life and just be a killjoy. People think that, well, if, if I become a Christian or a follower of God, that means I've got to stop doing this and stop doing that, and I can't do it. That's the wrong question. Because let me ask you a question. How's that working out for you? Right? See, we, we all look to things in our lives to validate us, to make us feel better. So we try this, we run after this, and we're like, well, does this make me feel better? Is this? And what happens, it, it works for a while, but then it leaves us empty. And it leaves us restless. The reason why you don't have rest for your soul is because you don't have rest for your soul. You go to the next thing and the next thing. We all do it. We, I'm, I'm in that same boat. We all do. We search and we search and we search trying to find rest for our soul, trying to find validation, trying to find identity for ourselves and who we are. And we go here and we're still restless. People are so anxious today and so worried there's so much upheaval in our world today. And Jesus says, I've come as the Lord of the Sabbath, as the Lord of rest, to give you rest for your souls. And you're not going to find it chasing the things in this world. You're not going to find it through religious pursuits of trying to add more and more and more and more and more and more and more rules because that's you trying to pursue God in your own way. And Jesus says, you're never going to find me that way. You're never going to find rest for your soul doing that way. You just come to me and let me be Lord over your soul. Let me give you rest from all the burden, all the messiness in your life, all the mistakes that you've made in your past. I've come to bring healing and forgiveness because of the sin and all the wrong choices that we've made. 
So many people think that Jesus is just coming to take away things from your life. It couldn't be more opposite. Jesus has come to give you more and life more abundantly than you will ever find in the things in this world. Just a couple things here that we can learn from these two passages that Jesus came for people and that Jesus ultimately gives us rest. Ultimate rest for your soul is found in Christ. Not merely adhering to a bunch of rules. That is what Jesus is pointing out. When Jesus says that he is the Lord of the Sabbath, he's actually saying, I am the Sabbath. I'm the fulfillment of this. See, he is the source of the rest we need and we will never find that trying to be perfect in our own strength. So he's saying, don't, don't come to rules to save you. It's not about becoming a better person. See, when, when we think that uh, we can make ourselves right with God by being moral and good, we will sidestep Jesus altogether. That was about the best thing I said. Oh, so, so I'm going to say it again just because this is so good. This, because I think this is the way, listen, if we're honest, this is the way we approach church or religion. We approach religion by saying, okay, if I'm going to come into this in a, religion or a relationship with Jesus, then I've I got to be moral and I've got to be better and I've got to stop doing this. I've got to stop, oh man, I've got to stop doing a lot of stuff. Pastor, you have no idea. I've got to stop a lot of stuff. I've got stuff. Right? Wrong. Don't come that way because what you will end up doing is sidestepping Jesus all along. You, you'll just sidestep. No, first come to me. Jesus doesn't put all these hurdles in front. Okay, okay, you're going to come to me? Okay, you've got to stop drinking. You've got to stop doing this. You gotta, I don't have enough things to put in front of me, but you've got to stop doing all these things, right? See, so Jesus, he, he takes away all these hurdles. And he says, no, 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 you just come to me. Come to me. Find rest. And then, this is the great thing. Well, all of a sudden, these desires that I used to have, I don't have them anymore. Because now I have something better. Jesus is better. Way better. He gives you identity. He gives you validation for your life. And all of a sudden, Jesus is so much better. It's like, boy, I, I used to think this made me feel better, but it's not that great anymore. And all of a sudden, you please God because of your relationship with Jesus. Not because you have to. Not because Jesus gets you in a headlock and says, you've got to stop doing all this stuff. It's because now you found freedom in Christ and now these things have, lo- have lost its luster and its desire that you don't want to do them anymore. Not because someone's beating it down your head or trying to cram the Bible down your throat. It's because you've come into that living relationship with a living God who says, I've changed you. I've given you a new life. I've forgiven your past. And now all these things that we thought were so wonderful and, and would give us peace and validation for our life aren't that great anymore. They're just not that great anymore. So if my good works are to prove to others that God, that I'm good, will never find rest. Never find rest. If, if my good works are to prove to others and God that I'm good, we will never find rest. And I believe the reason why we are tired and not finding rest is for this reason. It's a constant need to prove ourselves because we're never satisfied with who we are in Christ and thus never being good enough. So don't use your works to come to God to try to validate your existence or how good you are as a person. 
Don't do that. If you do that, you'll never find your rest in Christ. Listen, even those of us that have been followers of Jesus, I fall into this trap a lot. I try to find my validation in Christ by doing a lot of stuff like, God, I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And are you pleased with me? And, and Jesus like, Barden, I'm pleased with you irregardless. It, it, my relationship with Christ is not based on my performance for him. Thank God he doesn't have a checklist that says, okay, Barton, did you do all these things today? Now I'm pleased with you. He says, listen, I've given my life for you. Don't come to me that way because you won't have a good, restful relationship with me. So when I know that I'm walking in, when I mess up or I do something wrong, I can come to Christ now knowing that he can forgive my sins because I have that relationship with him and I can find his grace over and over and over again. Amen. Knowing that I'm not trying to perform for him. Um, there's a, I'm sorry, I'm going to use this illustration, so I apologize uphand because I just, I love Rocky. I'm sorry, I just love the Rocky movie. I'm sorry. Um, Rocky 1's the best, by the way. Three's okay, four's pretty cool, but five, don't even watch, it's a waste of time. But anyways, one is the best. And someone came up to me in the first service and told me that they've never watched Rocky 1. So I've, 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 taken, I've excommunicated them from the church. They're no longer members of our church. Just wanted to make sure everyone's good with that. All in favor, say aye. Okay, so here's, here's the thing I want you to look at. I want you to look at here. I, I love this part of the movie where Rocky's trying to validate his, his existence. So um, if you've never seen the movie, go home. I know it's Mother's Day, but watch Rocky 1. You'll love it. So anyways, it, there's, this, there's this point in the movie where you know Rocky is, is going to fight Apollo Creed. He's the best in the world. And Rocky's just some guy off the streets of Philadelphia that was just picked to... What is... Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Got out of the mute. He did not do this to me in the first service, by the way. So this, this is a total surprise for him. Okay. Is that even Rocky? What? Okay, Dave Lamadillo is now fired from the sound team. He's no more. So here's the thing. There's this point in the movie that I love. I love this point in the movie where Rocky's trying to validate his existence. So he's fighting Apollo, best in the world. He just handpicked him, exhibition match. Rocky's going to get his clock clean. He knows it. He's just like... He's upset. And, and the, the interesting thing is, why does Rocky train so hard? Why does he run up the steps of the Philadelphia Museum of Art? Was it to beat Apollo? No, it wasn't. It wasn't to beat Apollo. I got, I got a picture of this because I love it. Okay, there he is. So, so here, so Rocky is at the top, you know, dun, 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 that, that's the real music, Dave, back there on the sound. Anyways, dun, 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 right? So there we go. Okay, that's better. All right, Dave, you can stay back in the sound room now. Okay, that's good. So here he goes, here he goes to this point of the movie and he's talking to Adrian and he's trying to validate his life. And this is what he says. He says, yo, Adrian. No, I'm just kidding. He says, <laughs> he says, he says, oh, come on, Adrian, it's true. I was a nobody. But that doesn't matter either, you know, because I was thinking, I, it really don't matter if I lose this fight it, it really don't matter if this guy opens my head either because all I want to do is to go the distance. Nobody's ever gone the distance with Creed and here's the most important part of the movie right here. This is what he says. And if I can go that distance, you see, and that bell rings and I'm still standing, I'm going to know for the first time in my life, see, that I weren't just another bum 
from the neighborhood. Had nothing to do, listen, had nothing to do with winning the fight. The validation for Rocky was that he wanted to go the distance so that he wouldn't feel like a bum. His whole validation came from going this distance. I want to ask you a question today. How are you validating your life? How are, are, are you validating it through your kids? Like, if only my kids turn out well, or this one kid doesn't turn out well, and, and I'm upset, what did I do wrong? There's so many things that we try to validate our lives by the things in our life. See, Jesus comes so that you can stop validating your life by stuff. See, and we all do it, don't we? We, we? How well do I do at my job? If I can just do well at my job, if I can get this certain job, if I can make this amount of money, if I can buy this certain amount of house, if I can drive this certain amount of car, this, this type of car, then, then I can validate my life by this. We all do it. How well, you know, moms, how well am I doing as a mom? You know, we, we struggle with that. Am I doing well enough? Am I doing good? And we try to validate our existence by how well and we're doing it in all these different areas of our lives. But my question to you is, how are you validating your life in Christ? Are you validating it through rules or your relationship with Jesus? Is it by how much you're doing for God and Jesus that validates who you are as a Christian? Or are you validating your life and who you are in Christ? Listen, listen, listen. In Christ Jesus, you are a new creation. Behold, all things become new. The past is now covered. Your identity in Christ is not based in what you do. Your identity, your validation in Christ is based in what Christ has already done for you. There's not enough good works or, or things that you could do to ever please the Lord in yourself. So stop doing that. Jesus has come to have a relationship with you that you would know his forgiveness that you would serve him out of a heart of gratitude and thankfulness, knowing that it's not by your performance, it's not by how many things you do for him. Of course we want to serve the Lord. Of course we want to read our word. Of course we want to pray. But those things are motivated by this relationship that Jesus has already established with us, which should hopefully set you free from the burden of trying to be good enough. Some of you are here today and you just don't feel good enough. And I don't know if it's from your past. I don't know if it's from your parents. Whatever it may be, I'm not here to psychoanalyze the whole thing. But what I'm saying is this. Jesus has come to set you free from that. To say, in me, you are a new creation. You're not validated by what a parent said to you. You're not validated because your marriage didn't work out. You're not validated because maybe one kid serving the Lord and the other isn't or your kids are far away from them or they're not close to the Lord, whatever. You're not validated by those things. Your validation comes from who you are in Christ. I would say to you, if you're going to find true rest for your souls, you have to find it in Christ and Christ alone and then begin to serve him out of a heart of gratitude and thankfulness for what he did. And when you do that, when you do that, 
you will realize that Jesus came to replace religion with himself, right? And that Jesus has already validated your life by giving himself for you. So I would say, where, where are you today? Have you, have you found rest for your soul? Have you found rest? You're not going to find it through your religious pursuits of trying to be good enough. You're not going to find it in this world through all worldly pursuits. You won't find it. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. And he's come to give you rest. Stop fighting him. And just come to him with all your flaws, all your sins, all your shortcomings. Let him restore you. Let him do the work. Let him begin to peel the onion in your heart of all the things that need to, that you need to lay before him. Let Jesus do it. You stop doing it because it's not good because you'll pick it back up again. I'm just telling you, you will. Let him do it. Let him do the cleansing in your life that you need him to do. Not because it's a performance thing because he's going to love you more or less. It's because it's a new creation thing. That in Christ we are new creations. And he will do the work when you consistently have that relationship with him and listen to him and know that he loves you and he cares for you and he wants nothing, nothing to stand in that relationship with him. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father God, we just come before you now. And Lord, I just pray for anyone that's here today that um, is struggling, maybe that has tried to find you, Jesus, through religious pursuits or trying to be good enough. Lord, I pray for those that are maybe watching online or just sitting here today. Lord, I pray that they would know that anyone that comes to Christ, he will no wise cast out. I thank you, Lord, that that, Lord, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to hearts and individuals of those who have not yet come to you and have laid their life before you. Lord, I thank you that there's no magical formula. It's us putting our faith in Jesus and him alone and believing that God raised him from the dead and believing that he is King of kings and Lord of lords and believing that he came for me to give his life as a sacrifice for me and my sin to establish a right relationship with God so that we now would have a right relationship with God the Father. I pray for those who are in that position today that they would reach out to you. And I thank you, Lord, that you will save, that you will cover, that you will heal, that you will forgive, and that, Lord, you will put us on the right track with a new life. Lord, you give us a new sense of direction and you give us joy and freedom that we could never find in this world. That doesn't mean our lives are going to be perfect. That doesn't mean that we're not going to have our struggles. But I thank you, Lord, that you are always with us and that we find true rest for our souls. I pray for those two today that are just struggling in their hearts to find rest in you. They're battling with their identity. They're battling with who they are. They're battling with significance. I thank you, Jesus, that you came for us to validate our lives through you. And so I pray, Lord, that you would speak to every heart here for those that are just struggling with that, that you would reveal yourself to them, that they would find rest in you today. I thank you, Jesus, that you are the way, the truth, and the life and that you've come to bring us life and life more abundantly than we could ever find in this world. 
So I thank you for your love today. In Jesus' wonderful name. In Jesus' wonderful name. All God's children said, Amen. Amen.